0: Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 174 of the Mandolins of Beer Podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? It's also brought to you by Acoustic Disc. Don't forget to go to Acoustic Disc and sign up for their email list and you can get yourselves a free treat of the week every week. Every week, one free MP3 from their incredible catalog is available to you. It's free, so go sign up. Do it today. And you'll also be kept up to date and in the loop when all the new releases come out. And also, Grace Design preamps. Some of the finest preamps out there for studios and for stage. There's a reason why you see many of your favorite players plugged into those sweet silver and black boxes. As a matter of fact, the band I'm going to see this weekend on Saturday and Sunday use them. Billy Strings, Billy and Jared. I know they use them. I'm looking forward to catching up with Jared Walker, man. What a what a lot of exciting stuff that's gone on in that guy's life since the last time he's been on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Jared and uh, hopefully catching up and recording an episode with him as well, if time permits. Hope everybody had themselves a great week. I had a pretty busy week, a busy month. Um, I got to uh, play again The Fear of the Walking Dead. The series is over, and they uh, invited uh, us back to play their season wrap party and they were excited to see us which is great we get hired by the uh uh the people who put on the party and the catering and all that stuff and and quite possibly the next party we might be playing might be stranger things it's exciting so that was really fun my guest this week is aliza and i can't say her last name right so ah, it me crazy she nails it obviously <laughs> so i had her introduce herself because it would have taken me three days to get that right but she plays with sharo das trace and they are incredible if you're not familiar she's done a mandolin monday which is great Um, They do live streams often. I'll have links to where you can go to her Instagram and their website. They're going to be touring the United States for quite a while here coming up. So that's really exciting. I hope to catch them live. Before we get into the episode, let's get into the sponsors. Peghead Nation. You can learn showroom music at Peghead Nation with Ian Curry, past guest on the show. You can learn that. You can learn bluegrass. You can learn old time. You can learn jazz. It's one of the finest lineups of mandolin instructors out there Sherry Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Curry. They've got the downloadable notation and tab, plenty of tunes and songs to play, and the best part. Just go to pegheadnation.com now. Use the promo code mandolinbeer, all one word at checkout. Get your first month for free. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at Mando mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Tone Slab Picks. If you would listen to this podcast, there's a good, good possibility you are familiar with Frank Sullivan. And Frank doesn't do anything halfway, and that includes tone. He got together with his partner in Tone Slabs, and you can go get yourself a Tone Slabs pick by going to ToneSlabs.com. They got all the cool shapes. They got incredible bevels. They could do them without bevels as well. And some of the best players out there are playing them right now. So head on over to ToneSlabs.com and get yourself a slab of tone. Speaking of tone, uh, Frank Sullivan actually built one of his mandolins, his main mandolin, with Roger Siminoff. And Roger Siminoff has got straight up strings. The best part about straightupstrings.com is you head over there and you can get 10% off anything by using the code all caps, Mando Beer, including the straight up strings. Hear every note of every chord. That's the tagline. Guys like Tristan Scroggins and Wyatt Ellis and C.J. Lewandowski trust the Straight Up Strings to deliver the tone. You can check them out yourself by going to StraightUpStrings.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter, another fantastic newsletter that is free. And you can get yourself that 10% off. So get yourself some Straight Up Strings and go to StraightUpStrings.com today. Also get 10% off the books there as well elderly instruments elderly instruments is your trusted source for new used and vintage fretted and stringed instruments for the experienced beginner player their vast selection of mandolins guitars banjos ukuleles and did i mention mandolins includes all of the accessories and books to go with them all instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help they're in their 51st year They're family owned and operated they ship worldwide and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com all right, let's get to the episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have yourselves a fantastic weekend. If any of you are traveling into Charleston, South Carolina, to check out the Billy String shows, holler. Let's see if we can maybe meet up. I believe Into the Fog is playing in town, as is Town Mountain, for pre-party, I think, for Into the Fog on Sunday, and a post-party for Town Mountain at the Charleston Poorhouse. So lots of great music in town this weekend, Also, if you're in town, I'm playing Saturday and Sunday morning, uh, downtown Charleston, so come on out for that, too. Okay, cheers, everybody. Have a great weekend. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome, and I'm gonna have—I'm gonna have her introduce herself because I do not want to goof her name up, uh, and she says it perfectly. So, could you please introduce yourself, my newest guest?
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Eliza Meyer Ferreira.
0: Thank you so much for doing this.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, no problem. We had been in contact, like we had been playing some email tag <laughs> for for a, like a year it seems like maybe even longer so i'm glad that we got this going on you've been a requested guest a few times so it's really great to make this connection
1: yes I, i'm very glad it worked it worked
0: yeah me too and and now you you mentioned you guys are going to be coming to the united states
1: yes this year uh 2023 is the year that we uh, return to the US for the first time after the pandemics. So it's been what three years mm-hmm. since the last time we uh, the last t- our last tour was in 2019. So it's our return uh, to America and uh, we are really looking forward. We our tour is gonna be very long because we have many people to <laughs> see and places <laughs> and places to go. So I'm really looking forward. I can't wait to be in the road again.
0: I, I'm excited for people to see you um, listening to this music, uh, the entire band, Charo das Trace. Yes. Is that, is that, am I right? Did I get that close?
1: Perfectly. Yeah. Perfect. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: you, uh, you are all virtuosos. and intricate and, and uh, just the playing ability is just all wonderful.
1: Oh, thank you. And, uh, but I think this is a characteristic of the, the genre. Uh, Shoro is a very difficult kind of music. I remember <laughs> when Corina, my oldest sister, when she was a kid and she started to play she wanted to play choro because she she heard us an album by Altamiro Carrilho, who was the, uh, the 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 best flute player in Brazil, and she wanted to play the pieces that he played. And then when my father uh, bought for her the book with the with the tunes, the, the tunes were so difficult. It had so many notes, and, and then my <laughs> my dad said maybe we should try to start with something with less notes. <laughs> and it, then she started playing bossa nova first. So for for some time she pl- she started uh, her studies playing bossa nova, and then a little some time later she started playing uh, wh- what we call choro canção, which is a choro that is slower, uh, more uh, romantic a um, more uh means song. So it's like a song a shoro song which is meaning that it has less notes and then uh with the, the time as time went by she started to play the, the ones with more notes. Although as you know every I, I'm sure that everyone that is listening here, all our Mandel friends, uh know that shoro and music in general is not all about the, the, the bunch of notes or, or the difficulties. So shoro is a very cool kind of music for us, at least I can say for myself. It's very fun to play because the repertoire is huge and you have this variety of, of pieces. You can play very difficult pieces, very challenging, but at the same time you, you can play very sad or emotional pieces. So it's very
0: cool. All the songs, regardless of speed, that I've heard all seem to st- are very emotional and passionate feeling. Yeah, I mean, even the ones that have all the notes still have emotion, which it, it gets, that gets lost in a lot of music, I think, sometimes.
1: Well, I think that's because how Brazil, <laughs> that's how we are.
2: <laughs> I guess that's
1: how we are. And, and the music reflects people. So, uh, and Choro is the first urban music created in Brazil. So, all the other kinds of music, uh, all the other kinds of Brazilian music came from it. So, Choro, uh, uh, a, a com- very important composer we had, actually was his birthday was on uh, uh, March 6th, I think, called Villa Lobos. He said that show is really the, the, the real essence of from Brazilian soul. Uh, and this is so true, because it's what you're saying. The, the music completely re- reflects uh, the Brazilian people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you started at a very young age playing.
1: Yes. I started uh, when I was seven years old. I asked for Santa Claus, um, a mandolin, but I I kind of misspelled it. (laughs) Uh, He didn't understand, and I got instead uh, an uh, instrument called cavaco. It's called cavaco, it's very similar to ukulele. And then uh, I finally got a teacher uh, at a conservatory close to my town. And he was actually a mandolin player. And he said, Elisa, he suggested, why don't you try my mandolin? I think you, 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 you <laughs> probably were going to like more than, than Cavaco. And I tried it. I actually liked it better. And, and very, I don't know, weeks later or the next week, my father, my parents gave me my first mandolin.
0: <laughs> uh, do you still have it?
1: Yes, I have all yes. my mandolins. I'm, I'm, a keeper. Oh
0: yeah, good for you.
1: Yes, I, I know. I, I don't think I can. I mean, of course, I, I understand. Sometimes we need to, to sell an instrument, but fortunately, I never had to do it. So I have all my dear mandolins. <laughs> what I do when, uh, when I have to record an album. I like to do tests before I record the piece. I record in one or recorded two mandolins sometimes two or three, and then uh, my sister, who is the, the sound engineer, she plays the sound for me, without saying which which is which, and and then I I choose the one that I think that fits the the piece better. And then also she gives her opinion, and then as I show it to the other members of the member, of other members <laughs> of the band. I, I try different picks and record, because I don't know if sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit deaf because the sound I'm hearing here when I play, the sound of the pick, the sound of the instrument, is so different from the when, when we record. I never know if people, when people are listening to me. If they are listening like the recording or if they are listening to what I'm listening. How many
0: albums do you have out? There are a lot of your... You guys have a lot of albums.
1: We do. I don't... Uh, we have 11 albums.
0: Wow! <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Yes, we used to record every year. Um, so we used to record the beginning of the year release the album then we and bring we used to bring the, the the new cd to to the us to to do the tour in, in in europe do the tour uh with the new album so every year we had a new album and we and also uh we re, we were recording pieces by by composers that are alive because you probably know that uh, most of the great composers of Shoro they they are already passed away many years ago. They are from the uh, beginning of the twentieth century. So we decided to record uh, composers that are alive to sh- to show that shodo is is still uh, living and. Uh, and so we had a lot of material, so we, we had to record every year so we, we, we could uh, show all those people, show all those pieces. Uh, and then we, we took a break to, during the pandemic, but uh, hopefully we're going to start to record our, our album soon.
0: And you also composed some songs.
1: Yes, I have many pieces I have to to finish for for the next album.
0: Choosing, you you know, there's all these composers out there, and then you're composing songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it kind of like a uh, a family decision? What songs make the album? How do you kind of choose between all the songs?
1: Well, uh, usually we have uh, uh, it's a long process. So, <laughs> for example, the the composers that used to we used to record, they all were very organized, and they had all uh, they all did. Uh, she uh, they all wrote their music, and gave us the scores, like little books with their compositions. And also, I have all my my compositions. I record them, and then I I don't know put names on it so I can uh, recognize uh, each one of them. So first, I'm. Um, me and my, and Liam, my sister who plays guitar, we take a look at all the tunes, and it's a lot. So we go reading all the books and and, and playing all the pieces, and then we make marks uh, in the ones that we like more. And then after we do this, uh, then we used to call my uh, Corina, our our older sister, and and uh, and our father. So uh, all the the band. I uh, used to, to help and, and suggest the, to choose the pieces. And one thing that is, is very interesting is like I feel we all feel like the pieces they kind of chose themselves for, for the album because we had it happened to us many times uh, of finding a piece in the book and the piece didn't call, didn't call much our attention. Uh, but then, for for another album, the piece sounded like just perfect. And I had pieces composed by me uh, that I the pieces were the piece uh, were was finished for many, many, many years, and only after many years, uh, the the piece was uh, fit in an album. I don't know. It's like the piece was waiting for the right album. To be, yeah, it's very cool how the repertoire uh, is born.
0: <laughs> now, with there's such a big songbook, and, and, and I'm not as familiar as with the music stylings down there, but as you're growing up as, as a kid, you know, you're seven years old and you're loving this style of music, was that the type of music that was like very popular also? Or, you know, like for instance, You know, I love a lot of mandolin music here is like bluegrass based or new acoustic based. And that definitely wasn't really popular for me to hear on the radio. It took finding it through other people. Was it very popular for you or did you guys have other bands like similar to say like Bruce Springsteen or other things like that?
1: No, it's funny. We have some American friends that that also uh, call us, ah, you're my friends that are celebrities (laughs) <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, but definitely not shoro uh, uh, is not uh, is not in the top in the media. Many people on uh, the on the uh, big audience. I don't know how you call it the, the, the big amount of crowds. Uh, many people don't know what shoro is, don't know this word, or don't never heard of a, a word of a mandolin. They know cavaco, cavaco is very popular, the guitar, samba is very famous. Everywhere you go, you, you, if you say samba, people know this word, know about samba. Choro is not uh, is not that popular. Uh, but choro, one thing is, in, is interesting, that doesn't matter where we go in Brazil, if you, we play in the north of Brazil or if we play in the south of Brazil, Anywhere. If we play Carinhoso, Carinhoso is this this, this. Mm piece. If if we play this song, everyone knows it, everyone sings it. All the Brazilian people know this this song and, and sing along. And if we play tico-tico Chico no fubá. Tico-tico no fubá and Brasileirinho. So if, if we play those three pieces, every Brazilian know it, knows it, but, but they don't know, most of the people don't know it's, it's Choro. The genre is called Choro. They probably are gonna think it's, I mean, they, they, they think it's some, but I don't know. They probably never thought about it, but it's actually shorter. So every time we were uh, teaching in, in the schools, uh, uh, bringing short, taking of music for for kids, I remember that we used to, to ask, Do you know this, this piece? And play Chico Chico no Fubá, or Brasileirinho, or Carinhoso, and they always know it. <laughs> and then we say, ah, so, you know, sure. And they, and they would, ah, oh, my God, we know. <laughs> so it, that's how it, how it is here.
0: Your playing is, you're like a virtuoso. Your playing is so great. And when I was doing some research for this interview, um, I read that you didn't really work on scales or anything like that. You just would learn a new song. Oh yeah, so I would love to talk maybe a little bit about how you would hear a song and then go about working it because a lot of these songs, I mean uh, even the easy ones are pretty difficult sounding
2: <laughs>
1: uh, That's that's what happened, I, I started to play, as as I mentioned before, when I was seven seven years old, so I had just learned how to, to write and to write Portuguese so my beginning, my first years, uh, I learned to play by ear. So that, that's what, I, what you said. I used to go every Saturday to Sao Paulo City to go to, uh, to participate. First, just to listen to the musicians at the jam session. Uh, and then they started to invite us to play. So every, every week, during the week, I I would I used to learn a new piece a new shorter piece and then on Saturday I would play uh, the new piece uh, at the jam session so the the musicians would give me tips correct me uh, help me they were like my teachers so I had many many teachers on, on those those jam sessions mentors that were crucial to my my graduation, <laughs> graduation and shoro, and playing bandolin, and uh, so that that was it. I, and also when we started to play, this was in two thousand, the year of two thousand. There was not internet, and then there uh, suddenly internet came and appeared, but there was not shoro information on the internet so it was very hard to find uh, sheet music and also when you when you when we found it was always wrong with wrong <laughs> so we had to learn from the recordings and 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 sure the, our mentors they were always very very uh, strict about uh, respecting the composer so we always had to find the 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 most uh, official recording, usually the best, would be always to find the recording of the composer and learn the, 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 the correct form and notes of the, the piece by, the, by that recording. And then, you, after you learned it, we had to go to the jam session to learn how to make it round, how we say, to, to make the, the piece sing. So, and learn the language of playing Shuro.
0: So when you sit down, let's say you pick a tune, you you go to the jam, you hear a song that you want to play for the next week. What did your your practicing process look like throughout the week to get ready for the jam the next week?
1: Uh, The process, I think, uh, always, of course, you have to listen a lot to the piece so you get more familiar with it. And then... uh, to learn by ear, uh you have to go little by little, of course, the more you do it, the less you have to stop the recording. so when <laughs> I started to play, I had to stop every because also because the recordings quality are terrible, they're very bad, <laughs> so there's a lot of noise noise of the the disc, so it was really like a ear training uh process so in the beginning I had to st- to learn each note three or four notes stop try to repeat to find the notes and then you go bar by bar uh, which was good because uh, this way uh, I didn't notice that I only noticed I learned those things when I went to the US and uh, I have had to give my first workshop about mandolin, and and the musician the, the, the students I wanted to learn ornaments and I was like what do you mean by by ornaments and then I realized that I did uh, I was doing things like and I and then I and these I was when that happened I was 20 years old and I, and then I Figured out that I I figured out that I, I learned how to do this uh, during all all those years going to the gym sessions and, and learn the pieces by year uh, by the recording because on the recording you you try to copy what the, the the player is doing so you learn all the things the ornaments the effects and then. Of course, you you not you're not gonna remember exactly where, where the, the player did the the a certain ornament, but you learn how to do it and then you place it where you feel like it. So that's what happened to me. And also, uh, so then yes, when I, I when I learn by ear, I memorize very easily. I think everyone is much easier to memorize. So. Uh so then after you learn all the notes you have to try to play along the recording without stopping I like to this is personal I like to practice first the A section depois uh, uh, later after I I practice the B and I go little by little And then uh you go the first time in the jam session nervous <laughs> and praying that you're not they're not going <laughs> to mess up uh, all that you studied. But it, it, that was it. And then, in the first time you you play at the gym, it's gonna sound a little bit square. When we, in shorter music, when we say square, if it means that you play exactly what is, uh, exactly, as if it was written, exactly what is there, like just very simple. Uh, and we've not, uh, uh, A s- swing. And then when you start to feel more comfortable uh, after uh, the jam sessions you go, the, the tune start, it starts to sound more round, with more swing, more spirit, more more, 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 every, more s- feelings, everything.
0: Were there how many other mandolin players were at the jams when you would go?
1: Uh, mandolin I was lucky because mandolin I, I, I grew up uh, among many mandolin players and many good mandolin players they were each one of them had uh, different qualities and all very good so I, I had the chance uh, to be there and, and and listen live which I think was crucial. Uh, for, for me becoming what I am now, to, to get the sound, the technique, uh, the way of uh, interpretation, everything. I have a little bit of each one of them. I even, I, I mentioned many of them uh, at, at the first, the, the, uh, at an interview I did uh, on Mandolin Café, uh, Dan Bainborn, a friend, he interviewed me, and I mentioned Ah, I'm gonna send a hug to, to Dan. And he, I mentioned to him on in the interview, some of those mentors, including one called João Macambira, that uh, Scott, uh, he, he researched his, uh, his music and he loved it. So he was not famous, the, the, the João Macambira, but he was amazing. He was very original, his style. Didn't sound like Jacó do Bandolín, didn't sound like uh, Luperce Miranda. He was very himself, like very original. So I was very lucky to, to get to grow up with many of these uh, pearls of the mandolin world.
0: What are some of the tips that when you would go and play these songs, what are some of the tips that kind of you remember that helped form you into the player that you've become now?
1: Definitely. I actually remember the first uh, things my first teacher told me when I was seven years old. And I I bring those things until nowadays when I'm recording, when I'm playing. So the things that my, my teacher, first teacher told me and the mentors in Sao Paulo later they reaffirmed that. Uh, they they told me to play alternated picking always, <laughs> and I do that till nowadays. Um, ah, the, about the left hand uh, to play with the the violin fingering, not the guitar one. So play one one two two repeat the fingers, and I still do that. And the things that the the that my mentors in Sao Paulo, more about sh- focusing on xodo, uh were always very... Uh, they were always telling me how important uh, those things are, was to play clear, uh, have a clear tone. And uh, in Portuguese we say clean notes, so if you're gonna play something fast, uh, it's for all speeds, but especially if you're gonna play fast, you have to play it clean. You can't make the the the, the sound not clean. <laughs> so I always <laughs> play clean and clear. The, those things were like basic. If I if I didn't if I got there with a piece that was not clean and clear, I could stop there. There was not so just to start the conversation these those were the basics play clean and clear and then later uh, the the other tips uh would be more about interpretation uh uh, tips on 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 notes on chords about chords that kind of thing
0: you're talking about that's that seems to be no matter what style of music anybody's playing on the mandolin clean and clear and fast are the things that everybody, I think, wants to achieve. You've definitely achieved it. Your playing is just, uh, every note is just clear as a bell, even when you're just just ripping notes, <laughs> you know, and you're play, playing really fast passages. Since you have a mandolin in your hands right now, what would be maybe a way like a a passage that would be difficult, how would you approach it to get the speed up for people who are listening and like, okay, so she says, you know, keep practicing it, but how would you go about that?
1: Okay, so uh, there are different different examples, different kinds of speed, I think. So there are pieces, uh, for example, there are speed that you have to alternate the... The peak through all the strings, for example, like this uh, brejeiro. And, and there are pieces that are fast that are more in one line, like linear, or so it's only one note, note per time. Uh, but I think uh, it's a little bit different the approach but the idea is always the same start very slow that's what I've always I've always done so for example with Brejeiro start very slow and always with the hand relaxed I know when Many, it's common for when we have to play something difficult, we, we tend to tense our hands. Uh, or for example, when you are you have to play at a, a loud place with many other instruments. I don't know if a trombone, drums, and and the mandolin is very quiet. So you try to play stronger and louder. So you lose the the speed because you're tensing your hand. So try to play. Very relaxed, and as I think everyone uh, says, there then you, you gradually uh, speed up the the time. But one thing that I think it helped me a lot with speed was that I have this game with my with my father. Whenever I was learning a new piece and I was gonna show it to him, so for example, I was gonna show Brejeiro. So he would start to speed, the, speed up the, the, ten, the time in the middle of it. And then I, I tried to speed up too, and then we would see it was like a challenge. Who would uh, get tired first? <laughs> so it was actually good because one thing that people forget is of course you have to, to start to play uh, the, the fast piece slow, and then you go... You go faster, but some people uh, forget to go faster. So, if you're gonna practice with the metronome or with the or with the slow downer, always try to to spice a little bit. So, uh, if if the fastest you can go is 80, so, uh, once a day when you're practicing, practicing, try to go 85, 90, even if it doesn't sound perfect, but it, it's like exercising, going for a run. you, you have to push a little bit uh, forward every day so you so you are stepping there a little bit. So if you never do that, if you never go a little bit faster, it never, it, it's never gonna happen. Yeah that's how, and when you have a, it's the same when you have a, a more linear go little by little. Sometimes I go if it's too hard I go bar by bar and then you keep going and repeating. That's why I don't I I like to practice only when I'm by myself. I I, I can't do it with anyone around it because <laughs> it's very repetitive. And another thing that I have that is uh, particular particularly mine. Uh, that even my physiotherapist, he's always telling me that the, the, my, my orthopedist, I have my, the, the joints very loose. They're far apart, far apart from each other. And that uh, gave, gives me speed. So I never actually had to work very hard to play fast. Since I started to play... I used to play everything fast, since I was a kid. What I had to work hard, when when you mentioned about the, the tips that the, the ma- my mentors gave me, they were much more about interpretation. So for me, it was it, it took, uh, I think only when I was 19, 20 years old that I started to play a waltz, a Brazilian waltz, well. So for me, it took Uh, much more time because uh, to understand how to play a sad piece also because I was I uh, when I was a kid I was always happy always excited to be at the jam session I I wanted to play the pieces that reflected uh, what I was feeling at the moment so learning how to have to build my my tone because uh, you know, uh, Jacó Bandolín, he used to say that the mandolin the has a very, uh, how, how is this? It's an ungrateful. Uh, an ingrate, ungrateful instrument. The sound is very uh, nasal, very... <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "You have. it's a kind of instrument that you have to build the tone. You have to create it. To make make it happen, and uh, until I was, I don't know, 19, 20, 20 years old, I was working on that. My 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 tone uh, wasn't. I was very quiet. It it wasn't a beautiful tone. I didn't didn't have a, a nice tone. So that was happening year by year. So this everyone has something that you have to uh, work hard. <laughs> I had to, my my, my my hard work was to do that, to learn how to, to play the waltzes, the, the, the sad pieces, put emotion, how to put the emotion, uh, your feeling of the piece to the instrument, how how you transfer a feelings to, to a piece of wood. So, and also, I, I always tell my students there that usually my students are older than uh, than me, and then the age I had when I started to play. So I, t- I tell them, for you it's easier, because when I was a kid, I had never fell in love, I had never had any breakups or any uh, sadness, big sorrow. So you already been there. So. This helps a lot. You already have the, the luggage to to improve your tone. And this is actually important. It's experience in life. So I don't definitely don't play a waltz nowadays the same way I used to play uh, when I was I don't know eleven years old. All those things are very important in at least to me uh made a, bear, a big difference
0: how long have you had the mandolin that you're currently playing your main your main and mandolin
1: my main mandolin uh i'm not very good with with time but uh, i inside is written 12 so i imagine it means it's from 2012 uh and so I was playing with a different mandolin actually today. is my new, my newest, it's my birthday gift.
0: Oh, happy birthday! When, when's your birthday?
1: My birthday was on February 18th.
0: Happy, happy belated birthday.
1: Thank you. My family gave me this mandolin that is very, very, very special. I'm, I'm gonna... I was playing with, with it before. I'll, I'll show you the difference. So the one I'm I'm ho- I hold I'm, I'm holding now is the one made by Manuel Andrade. He was my looter. He passed away uh, a little bit uh, bef- after he built this instrument. So he many people asked me to to where they can buy another mandolin like this. But unfortunately, he passed away too soon. And this mandolin, the back is made of Uh, what we call jacarandá da bahia uh, which is rosewood from from bahia which is northeastern brazil it's very very dark uh, and the the size of the instrument is wider than the usual because he wanted to do an experiment to to make a mandolin with the shape of a portuguese guitar and i really liked because i i like the sound the sound is not very bright. This the sound I think is very sweet and, and it it resonates very long. Let me see what I'm gonna play. Okay. Montagne? Ah, it was out of tune. Ah, my sister is checking there. It's been ten years I have this man. I made a video for the day that I brought it home for the first time. I recorded this piece with my sister. The piece is called O Despertar da Montanha, The Mountain Awakening, by Eduardo Soto, and I recorded it because I like to record the sound, as I said. <laughs> I have, the, I, it's my, my thing. I like to record the sound to, to hear uh, completely. Well, this was the mandolin by Manuel. The other mandolin I was playing was by a different luthier. It belonged to a very dear friend I had. He, he was actually one of those mentors, I told you.
0: Oh, nice. He
1: was my favorite Mando friend we we used to talk for hours about mandolin about pick picks and and he was amazing because he met and heard in person musicians like Jacob Bandolin, Luperce Miranda, all the great mandolin players he, he saw them live so uh, really someone special so he he passed away uh, last year, I think, two years ago. In 2021, and his family uh, messaged me and, and told me that he would like he would like that I had that I kept his mandolin. So I I finally uh, went to take the mandolin, and I, I have it now. And this mandolin is very special for me, besides, uh, besides that, be, uh, also because, remember I told you my first mandolin was a very simple one, right? And then my dad, at the, I don't know when it was, after I was playing for a couple of years, three or four years, he felt it was time for me to have a, a better mandolin, a mandolin made by a luthier. So he said, Elisa, what is the mand- What's your favorite, which one's your favorite mandolin? From all the mandolins you play. Because in São Paulo the jam sessions I was always sitting uh, at the, the, the sessions, so very rarely I played in my mandolin. Was, I, people was, was always uh, telling me to play on their, on their mandolin. So my dad asked, which is your favorite?" So I said, my favorite one is the mandolin. Uh, Paulo Paulo Fazanaro's mandolin, which is this one. And then my dad went there and he copied. He took all the measurements. He made a drawing over the the, the paper. So he took measurements from this mandolin from top to bottom. And then he, he, he gave it to the luthier. And I have a mandolin that was built based on this one. And now I have the original, the sound. the the form is is the traditional shape for an old traditional mandolin Brazilian mandolin so it's thinner and in the the sound also is more is brighter it's more is a traditional mandolin so I'll play. But this one, I, I'm st- I've been playing every day with this one. So I still feel uh, some difference on the right hand because it's uh, smaller, it's, it's thinner. But I haven't been playing the, the other one for, for since I got this one. So I feel <laughs> like the strings are already old. <laughs> That's why I, I, I'm always playing one mandolin at a time. It's, it's hard yeah. to keep all, all of them good <laughs> in shape.
0: It's interesting. You know You know what I think maybe a little bit um, that adds emotion that you don't hear in a lot of like um, bluegrass music and and, and and current music is uh, there's like a, you play vibrato and slight little bends. You add like this little vibrato, which I think adds a little bit of soul to the playing as well.
1: Definitely. Vibrato was something that I learned that I was telling you, learn later. I learned, I started to do it when I was uh, 19, 20, and I remember the first ones I did, and the musicians would go, oh! (laughs) 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 Because it it sounds nice. Uh, It it fits this kind of music. It suits, so little details that are, are important.
0: Do you does it make it hard to keep it in tune when you do little things like that or not too bad?
1: No. No, it depends, it depends. there are some mandolins that I think it depends on the if you have a good good tuners. But it, but usually it's not a problem. We have to I think the biggest problem here is the the weather.
0: What kind of strings do you use?
1: I use a very cheap kind of string. But is the, the what we call the chorop, the shorong strings? All my mentors use these strings, and I, I have friends that try to use, like me, I tried to use fancy strings like uh, the I uh, tomastic. It it ruined my instrument. It it bent the scale. I think it was too hard. It was too hard. So I got back to this one. This one is called Hoshino. And these, these, these strings work well because uh, they resonate a lot. And that's very important for, for, for this kind of uh, mandolin playing, for sure. For so the things that we most want to do is sustain and, and have longer notes. So these strings, they provide that and also they have a bright sound. The only problem is that they last very short.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, the tone. You, I should be changing them often, but I, I never do it because I, if I want, I can stay one year without changing the strings. I don't break the strings. I never break the strings. So I get lazy about it. But the, the tone, the tone of the strings, when I'm recording, for example, I change each, uh, for each piece or two. I, I put a new, a new set of strings, because when they are new, they are bright, it's beautiful. And then when they start to get old, they, they, they lose their shine. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: they lose. But this one, none of those strings I'm using are, are, are new. But this string is very good. It's called Hoshino, very old brand.
0: What about picks? What kind of picks do you use?
1: No, the peak I I I use I've been using this one for probably 10 years also. This one I got in the US. It's called Dunlop Otex Sharp. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I like this one and I I use the one I think uh 7 7 uh, 0.73 72 I'm not sure because uh, I realized that uh, the sharpest the peak the clearest is this, this, the tone and this it, it was also in a uh, study that I did with my sister in the studio I recorded all the kinds of peaks I had here and uh, we figured out that the peaks that are very sharp but really very very sharp the, this one don't lop all text sharp when it's n- new that is very sharp you can even like sand a little bit to make it even sharper so the sharp is the peak the, the the brighter is the sound like very clear sound and also it can't it can't so for for this tone that i have this tone for shorter music never use a round pick and never use a, a very thick pick. It can't be. It can't be very thick, nor very light. It has to be medium. Okay. So th- why? Because if you play with a too light or too uh, heavy, it makes this noise. You know this noise?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this yes, noise.
1: Unfold. We hate that. <laughs> Our mentor. My mentors. Uh, when they were recording or when I'm recording it I'm always trying to find the best position for the microphone that doesn't have this sound because it's like a a nightmare so when you use a a pick that is very sharp and medium this noise is gonna be, I don't know at least 80 or 70% extinguished so that's why I use this pick. There are other ones that are very sharp, but, but I think this is very practical, this pick, very long lasting, never breaks.
0: Now, when you play live, do you play into a microphone or do you plug in?
1: It depends. It depends on the place. Ah, uh, oh, no, I never plug in. My mandolin doesn't have, I, I, I was thinking you we were mention, saying a microphone. I don't have plugins in any of my mandolins.
0: Okay, so you just you just use a microphone if you have if it's amplified. I have
1: a contact microphone. So oh, okay. if you see the videos, my mandolin always have like a a black dot. It's like Marilyn Monroe. It has a Cindy <laughs> Crawford. <laughs> it has a beauty mark. Uh, my my grandma used to call it. it. You had a it. So. <laughs> It's uh, the, the 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 little gum there. You you place the micro the contact microphone. that we use uh, this uh, Brazilian mandolin is a nightmare to 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 use microphones to play, uh, not to record but to to play on stage because it res- The best mandolins are the ones that resonate more but resonati- reson- resonating is not a good combination with uh, with microphone on stage. So there's a lot of uh, f- f- feedback. A lot of feedback. But this microphone, if it's, it's not like a huge stage, like a festival stage. It works beautiful. The sound is very, uh, the sound is very, uh, similar to the original sound, that's why I like it.
0: Well, this has been so fun talking to you. you got, what what a great attitude, and your playing is just super inspiring. I, I, it's just so beautiful, and I, I, I can see why you obviously love love playing music, and and uh, yeah, it really comes across talking to you as well.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me too, and I'm I'm practicing my English that is rusty.
0: Ah, now you're doing. That's great.
1: Ah, since since all those years, all those three years without touring.
0: <laughs> now, um, I should mention you also just started um something with the Mandolin Cafe, where you're going to kind of do um it, talk about choral music a little bit.
1: Yes. Now I'm a columnist.
2: Ah. Yes, a columnist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now I'm a columnist. Yes, I just have the new the second article ready it, it's going to be published soon and if you haven't read the first one the first one is there at mandolin cafe it's about uh about how jacob do Bandolin uh fell in love with short music uh, the first time he ever learned ever heard a short piece uh, so it, it, I love that story. That that's why I decided to to write about it. And I wrote it uh, for the week of his birthday on February fourteenth, which is also Valentine's Day, right? That was my first article. But uh, the idea of these 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 articles uh, is to to share. A little bit about this music that I love uh, not uh, not only about Jacó do but also share uh, and spread uh, other mandolin players that were very that are important and the mandolin history and other musicians so I, I'm really really happy and looking forward for for the next articles I'm gonna soon probably uh, not the second one, but probably the third. I'm gonna start to talk about the the the, the early Shoro years, how it how it was, how was the beginning of it, uh, and 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 write a little bit about the beginning of Shoro.
0: I can't wait for that. That's that's gonna be uh, that's also gonna be super helpful for people who who hear this and want to know where to dive in. And I'll also link the article you had done with, um, the uh, was it Dan, you said, uh, initially? Yeah, I'll link that too, because that has some really great information on your background and, and, and a lot of things as well.
1: Yes, it, it was very cool. Actually, I met Dan in, in, this, in the south of France at a, our first uh, international trip to play a concert at a mandolin festival. So there was mandolin players from all over the world and and then we met Dan and he plays, he was playing Irish music. I had never heard Irish music on a mandolin before. So we became friends and then and then later I didn't, I had no idea, I told you that here in Brazil people don't know what a mandolin is. So I had no idea that a mandolin was, was a thing around the world, there was a sight uh, only for mandolin players, and I didn't know it was such a loved instrument. So it was an amazing surprise. Oh, me and my family, we were, what? Uh, a side <laughs> for mandolin, because it's definitely an instrument very unknown here. Quando você começou a tocar, o papai estava... yes my sisters remind me when I started to play when I was a kid my dad he was worried uh, because my my oldest sister play flute the other one play guitar plays guitar so he was uh, he told my told my mom he was a poor Elisa she chose the mandolin What's what she's gonna do with it? <laughs>
2: Nobody, <laughs> know. Nobody knows
1: the mandolin. There's not a. He he didn't imagine as none of us that there, there there's such a world uh, happening uh, related to the mandolin everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah,
0: it's amazing.
1: It's amazing. Uh, I love it. It's it's very cool. Thank God, <laughs> I didn't have to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Back to the, back to the ukulele. (laughs) Yes.
1: No, but I think it was the best choice.
0: Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Now, one, one last question for you here. Do you, do you, do you drink beer?
1: I I don't. (laughs) Oh, you
0: don't? That's okay. Then no, no.
1: I'm a terrible Brazilian because every Brazilian that is an authentic Brazilian likes to drink a, we call here iced beer very cold but I, but I don't drink don't drink beer
0: yeah that's alright well thank you so much for doing the podcast it was really great to talk with you and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to do this today
1: you're welcome thank you for inviting me it was a pleasure I hope uh, you liked the, the, the interview and I hope your listeners liked it too and people start to get um, a little bit more interested about this kind of music that I love. And if you do, uh, don't you can always find us on YouTube. We always have videos, we're posting videos there playing and as we mentioned before, uh, probably once a month I'm gonna write uh, an article for the Mandolin Café so we can meet there.
0: Perfect! Well, thank you so much for doing this.
1: No, you're welcome. Thank you. Obrigada.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you so much to Elisa for doing the podcast. And here is your next practice tip for my buddy Wayne Fugate. I forgot to post it last week. So sorry about that. Listeners and to Wayne. So here you go. Cheers,
2: everybody. Have a great weekend. Hi, this is Wayne Fugate with another mandolins and beer practice tip. And Today, I want to talk with you about a process for setting goals that's been tested and proven successful in numerous studies and might be especially appealing to folks in the glass half-empty camp, because as it turns out, this strategy leverages a little bit of pessimism. So, everywhere you look, people are urging you to be positive and telling you that you're more likely to achieve your goals if you think positively and tell yourself that you're definitely going to achieve them. But here's a surprising scientific finding. Optimism can actually hold you back, and a little bit of pessimism can be a big help. Wait, what? I'll explain. Gabrielle Ottingen is a psych professor and researcher at New York University. She studied the effect of positive visualization for a few decades and she's uncovered some surprising new findings. For example, College students who participated in an exercise where they visualized themselves receiving a good grade on a Psych 101 midterm actually received a lower grade than students who didn't participate in the positive visualization exercise. College graduates who visualized themselves getting a high-paying job received fewer job offers and earned less money than graduates who didn't complete the positive visualization exercise. It turns out that when you allow yourself to fantasize about a positive result in the future, you fool your subconscious into thinking that you've already achieved that result. And if the mind thinks that you've already reached your goal, it won't be motivated to take action towards attaining that goal. Now, positive fantasies are helpful if you want to decide which goal to pursue, By engaging in a little bit of visualization, you can simulate all sorts of future experiences and then select the future or the outcome that seems the most worthwhile. So the idea here isn't to scrap positive thinking. But Ottengen found that when people do some mental contrasting, That is, holding a positive image of a goal they want to attain, but then contrast that vision with the acknowledgement of an external struggle or obstacle that they'll have to overcome. They trigger subconscious motivation and are way more likely to take more action towards their goal. Her research also found that results improved to an even greater degree when people in her study groups used another goal achievement technique called implementation intentions. An implementation intention is just an explicit statement that declares where, when, and how you plan to take specific actions towards your goal. In research circles, Ottingen's work is known as Mental Contrasting with Implementation Intentions, but it's also known as WOOP, W-O-O-P, which stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, and Plan, and it's also a lot more fun to say. And... It's a great method of goal setting that can help keep you moving forward and off the dreaded practice plateaus we sometimes find ourselves on. So let's look at what integrating WHOOP into your practice session might look like. It's really helpful to write the result of each step in the process down to refer to as you go through your practice sessions, but beyond that it's not super complicated really only takes a couple of minutes a week, and you can use it for any type of goal setting. But for now, let's look at the process and how we can put it to use. We begin with the letter W for wish. And in the wish step of the process is where you'd ask, what do I want, and why is it reasonable? So in our case, we'd think about what we might want to achieve in this upcoming week of practice and formulate our wish from that. So, for example, the wish might be to memorize the B part of a new tune that we're working on, or get a tricky passage up to tempo, or maybe practice scales every day during the week. Then the second part of the wish step is to focus on one action that you could take today that would move you closer to that vision. And this is important. Make sure the action is something that you can actually do and that is completely within your control. Then we move on to step two, the first of the O's in WHOOP, outcome. Think about the greatest benefit that will come from completing your wish and allow yourself to feel a peak emotion associated with it. So, for example, when you complete your wish, you might feel proud or more capable and more confident or you might feel like you're really making progress and that in turn might make you feel proud or relieved or energized or satisfied you get the idea the second o in our whoop model is obstacle and here's where you start thinking about why is this goal going to be hard if your goal is a realistic one then really the only thing that can derail it and prevent you from achieving it is an internal limitation. So take a moment to think about and to visualize the main thing that could get in the way of fulfilling your wish. Some examples here might include getting distracted, or that you got too busy, or you were too tired, or that you procrastinated too much. Just be honest with yourself here and identify the most likely excuse or excuses that you'll come up with during the day that will prevent you from taking action. And finally, we come to the letter P, or plan. And here, you'll ask the question, what can I do to get around that obstacle? Now that you've identified one or more of the big internal hurdles that stand between you and your wish, what's the one thing you can do to overcome it? Here, you might think about things that have worked for you in the past, or what you think might work based on what you've seen others do when they've faced a similar challenge. Maybe getting a little expert advice here might help, too. When you have your plan in mind, you'll summarize it in a short sentence using this formula. If, and then you insert your obstacle, then I will and you insert the action that you'll take instead. So, as an example, if I'm too tired to work on the B part of that new tune I'm learning when I get home from work, then I'll take a quick 20 minute nap and work on it as soon as I wake up. And that's it, that's the process. So now, instead of just fantasizing about some future goal, having fuzzy, unclear goals or worst of all no goals at all start whooping your goals start by visualizing what you want then anticipate what might hold you back and then come up with an if-then plan to neutralize those internal struggles by whooping your goals you'll stay motivated to take action be more likely to actually get things done and keep yourself off the practice plateaus by moving forward. If you want to learn more about WHOOP and the research behind it, check out the book, Rethinking Positive Thinking, Inside the New Science of Motivation by Gabrielle Ottingen, or visit the website, WHOOPmyLife.org, where you can even find links to a printable WHOOP kit that'll get you going. And yes, there's even an app for that, creatively called the Whoop app, and it's available for both Android and iDevices. As always, I'd love to get your feedback on this tip. If you have questions or comments, please drop me a note, wayne at waynefugate.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.